This is an overview of Romans chapter 1 verses 1 to 17 and Romans of a whole and this is the lecture of verses 1 chapter 1 verses 1 to 17. Here is a Tina story I'd like to share with you called Being in Love. Think back to when you met that man that you just knew would be the one for you. Remember when you realized and admitted to yourself that you loved him. Now remember how much you wanted to act like you were in a movie theater or a football stadium and yell to everyone, I love him. You told family and friends how perfect he was and he was just what you were looking for. Well, I told the Lord that I loved him today and he said to me, well, how much do you love me? You haven't told anyone how good I've been to you. You haven't shared how perfect my love is. You haven't spread the good news that I am always there to listen to your problems. You haven't told your family how I helped you pay your bills when you didn't have a high-paying job or how I got you a better one. You haven't shared with anyone how I took away that addiction that would have cost you not only your job, but also the man that was just what you were looking for. So how much do you really love me? So I said I would share with my friends and, and family, for starters, just how wonderful, perfect, understanding, patient, loving, unselfish, considerate, and forgiving God really is. He has blessed me with a family that loves me and friends that I can confide in. But even more than that, he has saved me from the destruction I couldn't even see coming. He gave to me the peace of knowing him, and he has never, ever broken a promise. Truly, he is the best thing that has ever happened to me. And I stand in my stadium today to tell you all, I love you, Lord. That little story is for each and every one of us. How much do you love the Lord? Welcome, ladies, to our study of the Apostle Paul's letter to the church in Rome, a letter, above all, whose content transformed the world. St. Augustine converted to Christianity by reading Romans. Martin Luther ushered in the Reformation by reading Romans. He saw in it the only thing that was needed for salvation was faith, which came from God not good works. John Wesley given assurance by hearing only the preface to Romans. Every movement, movement of revival began with Romans, comprehensive understanding of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ alone. However, it is not a sermon to unbelievers. Even though this book, above all others, was used by God to bring people to faith, it is the plan of salvation taught to those who were already believers. Rome is the gateway to other writings in the New Testament, and it must be understood first. No one knows how the church in Rome came into existence. No apostle started the church in Rome. Not Paul, not Peter. If another apostle started the church, Paul would not interfere. Romans 15.20, 1 
the new uh, century version, says, I always want to preach the good news in places where people have never heard of Christ because I do not want to build on the work someone else has already started. The church may have been founded by people in Asia Minor who were converted on the day of Pentecost. No one knows for sure. The letter was written by Paul from Corinth toward the close of his third missionary journey when he was preparing to go to Palestine to deliver an offering to the poor church in Jerusalem. He wrote the letter for three reasons. First, Phoebe was about to go to Rome and needed a letter of commendation from Paul to introduce her to them. In chapter 16, verses 1 to 2, Paul commends Phoebe to them, saying she was a servant of the church and a helper of many. He asked that they accept her into the church and provide her with whatever she needed. Along with her commendation, she was delivering this letter. To explain his second reason was that he was to explain his absence from them. It had been 20 years since his conversion and he had never been there and wasn't sure he was ever going to get there. He had so much work to do in Asia Minor that prevented him from going to Rome. Also, he was on his way to Jerusalem and there were Jews in Jerusalem who wanted him dead. The third and final reason is that the main reason Paul wrote this letter is because the church had no apostolic leader to lead them in faith. Paul wanted to make sure they understood the foundation of their faith. So the letter is primarily doctrine and contains some, but not much, historical material. Rome was the New York City of its day where, the, where all the great thinkers and intellectuals lived. It was the most strategic place, the center of paganism. All roads led to Rome, also all roads led out of Rome. If the faith was going to be spread out of Rome, believers needed to be grounded in the truth. Paul wanted them to understand their foundation and, their, and that their salvation is consistent with the attributes of God, particularly righteousness. There is only one way to interpret Romans. It is the righteousness of God. Paul was a Roman citizen before his conversion, a Pharisee, one of the strictest Jewish sects. He, his early years were mostly spent in Jerusalem as a student of the celebrated uh, Rabbi Gamaliel. He was a highly educated man and a fierce persecutor of Christians. Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 3, describes how Saul was in agreement with the stoning of Stephen. And verse 3 says, But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house and dragging off men and women he would put in prison. Christ personally took hold of Saul, who was on his way to Damascus to arrest Christians in that city. That marvelous account is told in Acts chapters 9, verses 1 to 9. A short time after he was baptized, Paul went away to Arabia, and for three years there he was taught by Christ himself. Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, For what I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. For neither I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
And so, in his letter to the Romans, Paul is declaring the gospel and the revelations that came directly to him from Jesus Christ. The primary theme, the, the primary truth of Romans is the righteousness of God, that God justifies guilty, condemned sinners by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The most stable Christians are those who understand God's righteousness as revealed in the gospel message. They understand that if it's God's way, then it's perfect. They're not shaken by what happens in their lives. They trust and they rest in God. They hold fast to the truth and are not troubled by philosophies claiming that God is unjust and not swayed when theologians try to redefine sin. Romans is about the righteous dealings of a righteous God, dealings with the unrighteous people, changing them into righteous people. In doing this, God is not tainted with our sin. He saves unrighteous people without compromising his own righteousness. Before Paul can become the apostolic leader of the church, he has to win the confidence of the Romans who never met him and convince them to listen to him. And so, in verses 1 through 17, Paul is greeting them and introducing himself to them. Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called as an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul is giving them his credentials, the right credentials. He calls himself a bondservant of Jesus Christ. In the Greek, the word is doulos, subservient, a slave, a slave of Christ. Paul is using this word in the sense of someone who is willingly committing himself to the service of a master he loves and respects. Paul is an apostle. The word in the Greek means one who is sent. In the New Testament, it primarily means the twelve men Christ chose to to accompany him and Matthias, whom the apostles chose to replace Judas. In addition, there is Paul. Christ gave them power to confirm their apostleship with miracles and authority to speak as his proxies. Every New Testament book was written either by an apostle or under his auspices. Their teaching is the foundation of the church. Christ himself selected Paul for this position and personally trained him to fulfill this ministry. He was set apart to teach the gospel of God. In the Greek, the word gospel means good news. However, this gospel is the good news of God. Verse 2, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. What Paul is teaching is not new, not original to him. He's saying his message is based in the Old Testament scripture. The Hebrew Messiah is already here. John MacArthur in his notes on this verse said, The prophets spoke clearly of a new covenant and of the Messiah whose sacrifice would make it possible. And he cites Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, Ezekiel 36, verse 25 to 27, Hebrews 8, verses 6 to 13, Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7, 
and 53 verses 1 to 12. In Romans verse 3 and 4, it says, Concerning his son, who was born of a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the Son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead according to the Spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. The Old Testament Holy Scriptures foretold of Christ coming as a man in the lineage of David. He would be born of a virgin conceived by the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 7.14 Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin will be with child and bear a son, and she will call his name Emmanuel. That's Isaiah 11 verse 1. Then shoot Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesse was David's father. John makes clear that believing Christ came in the flesh is crucial to Christian orthodoxy because as fully human and fully God, he is able to be man's substitute in payment of sin and also a sympathetic high priest. These two verses in the New Century Version of Scripture reads, The new good news is about God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. As a man he was born from the family of David, but through the spirit of holiness he was, clear, he was declared to be God's Son with great power by rising from the dead. The fact of the resurrection proves Christ's deity. The gospel message is about Jesus Christ, the God-man. At times, I also read the New Century Version of Scripture because it is one of the easiest translations to understand, and I hope it brings additional clarity to these verses. Verses 5-7 to Through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith among all the Gentiles for his name's sake, among whom you are also called of Jesus Christ, to all who are beloved of God in Rome, called as saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In these verses in the New Century Version, it reads, Through Christ, God gave me the special work of an apostle, which was to lead people of all nations to believe and obey. I do this work for him, and you who are in Rome are also called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all of you in Rome who God loves and is called to be his holy people, grace and peace to you from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As an apostle, Paul was given the commission to the Gentiles to bring about the obedience of faith for Christ's sake, namesake, for God's glory, <clears throat> not his own. True faith always brings about obedience, and it brings about submission to Christ. We are called to belong to Christ. The most crucial part of the gospel message is that salvation comes from God's grace alone. It is a gift from him and has nothing to do with human effort or achievement. Through his grace, he shows unmerited failure to favor to guilty sinners. He gives us the faith through his grace to believe and accept the gift of his son, Jesus Christ, and his sacrifice on the cross in payment of our sin. 
As God's elect, we are called saints. Verse 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. Paul is thanking God for their genuine salvation and that they are a church proclaiming their faith throughout the world. Rome was the center of the Roman Empire and whatever happened there was broadcast universally. People everywhere in the world were talking about the church in Rome and their faith. Verses 9 and 10. For God, whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his Son, is my witness as to how unceasingly I mention of you, always in my prayers making a request, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Paul is reaching out to them. He wants them to know he serves God in his spirit and not from legal obligation or fear that he cares for them, that he prays for them, and that he talks about them unceasingly, that his desire is and always has been to come and see them in person, and that he's praying that it will be the will of God that he will be able to do so. It is God who orchestrated Paul's circumstances, and God is his witness that his desire over the past 20 years has always been to come to them. Remember, before Paul can be an apostolic leader of a church, he has to win their confidence and convince them to listen to him. He wants them to know he truly cares about them. In verses 11 and 12, it says, For I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. The word gift in the Greek is charisma, which means gift of grace, a spiritual enablement whose source is the Spirit of God. Webster's New World Dictionary described charisma as gift of God's grace. In Romans, Paul uses this word in three ways. To describe Christ himself in salvation in chapter 5, verses 15 and 16. He used it as a general blessing from God in chapter 11, verse 29. 1 Timothy 6, 17. And specific spiritual gifts were given to members of the body to administer the whole. We see that in many places in scripture. Romans 12, 6 to 8. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 to 31. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11. In these verses, Paul is probably meaning all three. In the New Century Version, these verses read, I want very much to see you, to give you some special spiritual gift to make you strong. I mean that I want us to help each other with the faith we have. Your faith will help me and my faith will help you. Paul is humble. He wants them to know that he needs encouragement and refreshment from them just as they need encouragement from him. He sees them as he sees it as a mutual ministry. Verses 13 to 15. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also even as among the rest of the Gentiles. 
I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you, to you also who are in Rome. When Paul says he doesn't want them to be unaware and ignorant of why he hadn't come, it's because they were unaware and ignorant. Some in Rome believed he purposely stayed away from them and he was afraid to come to Rome. That Roman intellectuals would tear the gospel message apart and they would show how illogical and unreasonable the gospel message was. They would show error, inconsistencies, that it was for hicks and definitely not for sophisticated citizens of the most powerful city in the world. Does that sound familiar? Paul says he was under an obligation to teach Greeks and barbarians alike. Barbarians was a derisive term used by the Greeks for people who were uneducated, who did not speak Greek and were not taught Greek culture. He was under obligation to both the wise and the foolish. His point was that God is no respecter of persons. The gospel must reach both the elite and the outcasts of the world. He again stated that for his part, he was eager to preach the gospel to them. And the only reason he hadn't gotten there hadn't gotten there was because he was prevented from doing so. That he often planned to come, but he was stopped. Paul had tremendous confidence in the gospel message. His response unequivocally in verses 16, 16 and 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For it is the righteousness of God, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteousness the righteous man shall live by faith. The New Century Version. I am not ashamed of the good news because it is the power God uses to save everyone who believes, to save the Jews first and then to save non-Jews. The good news shows how God makes people right with himself, that it begins and ends with faith. As the scripture says, but those who are right with God will live by faith. These two verses are the basis for the entire letter. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ which Paul will teach and explain in the following chapters. Neither ridicule, criticism, nor physical persecution could curb Paul's boldness. He was afraid of nothing because it was the power of God to save people, both Jews and Gentiles. The word power from the Greek, dynamis, means a manifestation or instance of power. Mighty means. The English word dynamite comes from this Greek word. Many think the gospel message is foolish, but it is the only power, the omnipotence of God, that is able to overcome man's sinful nature and give him a new life. There is no plan B. The gospel can stand up to anyone. There is no inconsistencies in the gospel message. It is not illogical. It is God's power. The word salvation means rescue or deliverance. 
quoting John MacArthur, The power of the gospel delivers people from lostness, Matthew 18.11, from the wrath of God, Romans, 9, verse, Romans 5, verse 9, from the willful spirit, spiritual ignorance, Hosea 4, verse 6, 2 Thessalonians 1, 8. From evil indulgence, Luke 14, chapter 14, verse 16. And from the darkness of false religions, Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, and 1 Peter 2, verse 9. It rescues them from the ultimate penalty of their sin, that is, eternal separation from God and eternal punishment. The gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, that is, to everyone who trusts, relies on, has faith in. Faith is not a one-time event. It is an ongoing condition. It is not given to us by God in his mercy and grace. It is given to us by God in his mercy and grace, as seen in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Everything comes from God. God had chosen Israel as his chosen people, and he gave them special privileges. Romans 3, verse 2 says God trusted them with the oracles of God. Romans 9, verses 4 and 5, says that to the Israelites belong the adoption as sons, the glory and the covenants, the giving of the law, the temple service, the promises, the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through whom the promise of Christ was fulfilled. Christ according to the flesh, who is over all, God blessed forever. Amen. Christ's ministry began with the Jews, and then he came to the Gentiles, and then to the world. In the gospel message, the righteousness of God is revealed. The righteousness from God is revealed. It is the state or condition of perfectly conforming to God's perfect law and holy character. Only God is righteous. Man falls woefully short of the divine standard of moral perfection, no matter what he thinks. From faith to faith, from beginning to end, on the basis of faith, God will make us right with himself. It has always been God's way to justify sinners. By grace, on the basis of faith, alone. He established Abraham as a pattern of faith in Romans 4.11 and 16 and calls him the father of all who believe. One central theme of the story of Job is that no matter what Satan does, saving faith cannot be destroyed. And so the the righteous man shall live by faith. Do you live by faith? Has God made you righteous? Can you stand in a stadium and yell, I love you, Lord? What an exciting study this is going to be. In mid-March, we will begin studying the Messianic Psalms, Psalms which speak about Messiah coming into the world, facing extreme opposition, his betrayal and his rejection, his crucifixion, his death, and his resurrection. 
his victorious ascension and celebrating the royal wedding and his dominion. How blessed we are to be together and share with each other how God speaks to each and every one of us on a weekly basis. I pray you will be faithful in attendance and learn much and share much. May God continue to bless us all. Let us pray.